Our Bible app will be at the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference next weekend, and we hope to see you there. If you'd like to join us, you can get a discount code on your ticket by using podcast19 at qchristian.org. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Recently, I had one of the best start of year discussions, and it was with Miriam Samuelson Roberts about her life as a bisexual pastor in a committed heterosexual relationship, and about her newest devotional, New Year Healed Me, <laughs> which is all about avoiding those start of year stereotypes and tropes that remind us how little we've accomplished or how in need we are of improvement. Um, It's such a good conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. And now, Miriam. Miriam, how did you become uh, a pastor? Can you tell us a bit about your story, that journey? Yeah, the, the, the long, long answer is I never thought I would be a pastor. Or I thought I never thought I would be a pastor. My parents are both pastors. There's this like stigma that comes with being a pastor's kid where you're either, <laughs> yeah, so true. yeah, you're either like the rebellious kid who never goes to church or you're like the goody two shoes who then becomes a pastor. And I was like, I am not the goody two shoes. who's going to become crazy. a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I want to do. Um, but apparently my mom found this in the school in this scrapbook before my ordination. Um, I had, when I was in third grade, I had written um, or like drawn a little thing for one of my classes about how I wanted, we were supposed to talk about how we wanted to change the world, you know, normal question that you ask a third grader, I guess. Um, And I wrote, I want, or how you want to help the world. And I wrote, I want to help, I want to become a pastor so that I can help the world by preaching. And yes, I mean, that's true, actually. Like, it really is true. Um, and I think preaching is multifaceted. I, I really like the that St. Francis of Assisi quote, um, uh, preach at all times when necessary, use words. Mm. Um, but I, I do want to help the world by preaching. Or I, I think I would maybe say now, like, I want to heal the world by preaching with... Um, yeah, I mean, literally, I do preach in a pulpit on a Sunday, but I also <laughs> would like to do that with the ways that I hopefully preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Um, that's kind of a core piece of, of who I see myself to be. So becoming a pastor, I don't know, it it kind of just felt like a little bit of a settling into who I am, mm, if that makes sense. I see that. Yeah. Um, and I am sure that will continue, you know, my whole life. But at this, at this juncture, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, yeah, I feel like I'm settling more and more into who I am. And I'm, oh, I loved turning 30. It was so great. I just, Tell me more. <laughs> I gave so many fewer fucks about the things that didn't matter. And I've heard that happens every decade. So like 40, 50, it's just going to keep getting better. Yeah. Um, and that feels like a settling into myself too. So th- these are things that I'm, you know, 
it's helpful for me to identify like what, where are the places and who are the people and where are sort of my callings to be um, a more deepened version of, of who I already am and who is, who I've already been created to be. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about like what I wanted to be when I was a kid. What one, did you want to be when you were a kid? One of them was definitely a writer. Like that was something I always wanted to do. But mm. um, for a while I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, mm. When I was like a 12 year old tomboy growing up, I wanted to be a cop. <laughs> mostly, um, just, mostly just because like I grew up around a lot of boys and it yeah. was just like, I need to show how tough I am. And that was like, you know, the, the thing besides superhero, right. you know, you'd be a cop. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and now looking back on myself, I would be like, why in the world would you ever want to be Popo? But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, yeah, I never saw myself taking this path, but I really identify with what you say that you want to live uh, a ministry with your whole life. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly inspiring and also heavily daunting because, yeah. I mean, I'm a deeply, deeply flawed human being. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know? And yeah, and like, as you said, like, as I get older, I give less fucks. Um, yes. And sometimes that, like, that fraying of the self isn't, isn't such a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a journey. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is something about becoming a pastor that was um, uh, like something that maybe kept me from, from going down that path for a while, because this is just, I don't know, this is like a, an example that speaks to the macrocosm of the issue. But, yeah. you know, there are some pastors who have two Facebook profiles, which totally legit, like some people have to do that in their context. But I, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. But I also don't know if people could see the whole of who I am and still want me to be their pastor. You know, like I, I had this idea that, I mean, and also like many, many examples of pastors who are straight, old, white men. Yeah. And I am a young, queer, cis female. And um, I mean, I hold a lot of privilege in that identity. I'm married to a man. So I, I come off kind of probably as this like, suburban pastor mom now but I think um you know like I just I wasn't sure a if those identities would be welcome but also just like if my playfulness would be welcome if my swearing yeah. would be welcome if um if the fullness of who I am could could actually minister to people um but then I think I started coming back to church and I found a whole lot of people who felt the same way mm -hmm. um and who actually yearned for some more authentic, less rigid, bifurcated, this is my public life, this is my private life kind of people. And like, yeah, they actually wanted a pastor who, you know, said fuck every once in a while <laughs> and um, was irreverent and silly and and not a straight-laced person. So I've, I've been grateful. I mean, that's that's a continual journey too, but I, I try as much as I can to, to just live into the authenticity and mm. not perfectness of who I am because like yeah why right why you're right 
maybe I give myself a hard time, you know, but you, so you live in the Midwest and I do. This, yeah. That's where you find this, this church that's okay with their pastor. <laughs> like, it exists. It exists. It does I mean, exist. the, the opposite exists. Believe me. Um, yes, I'm from Minnesota. I don't know if you can tell my accent. Um, I, I can't. But I am, um, yes, I live in Minnesota. Um, I grew up in Atlanta. I, I've kind of lived all over, not all over, but I've lived in, in different places in the U.S. Um, and yeah, for sure, a version of like that old white male pastor culture exists here and probably everywhere, but it has its own specific flavor here and it involves, ugh, I mean, undertones of white supremacy. Yeah in the guise of like jokes about Norwegians and Swedes. It's a, it's a weird, Ooh. you know, culture. Don't yeah. Make my skin crawl. I can't no, take it. Very, very weird. And, you know, pretty fucked up at the core, but, but, you know, when you're joking about it, it doesn't seem like it. And then you're like, Oh no, that's, that's really bad. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. But also, yeah, I, I've found so many cool communities here and just people like, I don't know, the church that I serve, you might not expect to be, it's it's in a suburb of Minneapolis, it's a first-ranked suburb of Minneapolis, and you might not be like, wow, yeah, a, a bisexual pastor who swears would feel really comfortable at this large <laughs> suburban church, but I do, and these people who I serve, who have called me to serve them, I mean, that's another um, kind of like sacredness that I'm living into, is that like people have legitimately said, like, we want you to be in relationship with us, and we want you to care for us and like guide us and that's a huge privilege so I don't take that lightly at all um no what an honor yeah yeah but I do and I do feel like they've said like we want your whole self so I mean thank you so much for talking a little bit about your um your orientation and your identity um because that's my next question um what what does it mean to be bisexual and a Christian? I think I'll tackle that first. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you just uh, got so excited. I, I just got so excited. That's no, great. I love I love talking about this because I read. I wish I could cite this. I apologize for not being able to like academically cite this, but I read this article and I read it before seminary. So who knows if I read it now, I might be like, Oh, that was you know I, I don't know. I have a totally different lens now. Mm-hmm. But before I went to seminary, I read this article about. Um, how Jesus was bi and, and everything what? Jesus did was like very bi. And, um, I mean, when I say bi, I, I refer to myself as queer and bi in kind of different contexts. And when I say bi, I mean, I'm attracted to genders who are like mine and not like mine. Cause I think bi can be, um, construed as like upholding the gender binary a little bit sometimes. Oh. Um, when people describe it as I'm attracted to men and women, but I think, reframing it as I'm attracted to genders who are like mine and not like mine is a, is a way of not making it so binary. But anyway, this, this article said, um, I mean, Jesus was always living in this in-between space. Jesus literally lived in between life and death for like three days, you know, and Jesus lived between this culture of, um, Roman influence and Jewish religion. And he like bridged so many communities of people. And um, his own identity was kind of fluid. And it, yeah, I'm just doing a terrible job of paraphrasing it because I don't even remember who wrote it or what the article was. But (laughs) excuse me. I mean, I, I, I think that's, 
really clever and also insightful. And I say that as somebody who has heard these like different interpretations of who Jesus could have been. Um, and like my body used to cringe because I'm thinking of what those older white men are, are, are saying, you know, the, the quote unquote yes. leaders of the church. And I'm like, is this right? Oh my gosh, we're going to set off alarm bells if we talk about Jesus this way. Um, right. <laughs> I went to a play that categorized Jesus as a gay man and they did it so cleverly and just like beautifully mm. that I wanted to believe it, but not that I have to believe it, but that I can see myself in it, you know? And like, I think that's the important part. Um, and Jesus embodying somebody who is attracted to genders like them and genders not like them. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. That's fucking rad. <laughs> right. And who, like, why else would Jesus, I mean, this is the other thing is like Jesus, one of my favorite sort of theological terms is the incarnation, just because yeah. to me, that's like God took on human form mm -hmm. to literally experience everything that we have ever experienced. So why would God not be Sexual. also experiencing being queer, right? Like yeah. that's, that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. God, God wants to experience literally everything we've experienced, our highest joys, our deepest pain, um, and our whole range of experiences. So yeah. yeah, I mean, Jesus is definitely and there's, queer. There's stories there, I mean, and there are relationships of Jesus's that can be construed as sexual with women and also with men, you know, right. the way that every, every meaningful person around him was male. Um, but then he also had these you know, weird relationships with the Marys. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I, one of the other like workshops I went to that was transformative. And again, I just am not like actually going to remember what was discussed in it, but it was, it was at the beginning of college and it was talking about sexuality on a spectrum, but it was talking about like multi-layered spectrums. And so, yes, your sexuality, you know, sexuality 101 Kinsey scale like yes that's on a spectrum but there's yeah. a physical spectrum there's an emotional spectrum yeah there's a you know intellectual spectrum of how you're attracted to people there's so many different like layers to our sexuality and who we're attracted to um that it's not it's not like a monolith you know maybe yeah. you're one number on the Kinsey scale physically and another emotionally or yes, whatever so absolutely there's just no, like, I think we reduce, and if we're just, you know, for the purposes of this queer Jesus conversation, talking about Jesus, like, we would reduce Jesus to just say, like, did he have sex with any yeah. women? Or did he have sex with any women? It's like, no, like, if we're talking about Jesus mm. queer, that's such a multi-layered, non-reductive thing um, that, that I just want to, I would want to let live in mystery, if that makes sense. Mm. Thank you. Um, and Jesus is mystery. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, oh, uh, yeah. What you're saying about the, the like white male interpretation of Jesus is so real and it has dominated my imagination for a lot of my life and is kind of a reason that I was like, meh, church. I don't think so. Cause, <laughs> cause it's like, if that's the, if that's the idea we have of Jesus, that, that it has to be, that he has to be some like rigid behavior regulating, are you a good person, distanced kind of male, then I'm not really interested in that Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I'm also not interested in the Jesus that's gonna be used as a weapon. 
Um, and I'm not interested in the Jesus that's going to be used as like a tool of coercion or um, like, I don't know if someone says to me, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, well, what, what Jesus are we talking about here? Because I'm going to need to know what you mean by that. Um, because Jesus? to me, Jesus is, is um, and has become, I mean, I, ha- I feel like I've had to do some personal work to, to heal from those other images of Jesus and get here. But to me now, here and now, Jesus is unconditional love. Jesus is that in-between space. Um, Jesus is somebody who came to basically take the systems that we have that are um, broken and unequal and oppressive and flip them upside down. Um, I mean, there's so much more to Jesus Amen. Th- yeah, than, than what he gets credit for, which is unfortunate for him. But I, I want to reclaim that. And I, I want to be around people who are reclaiming that. I love it. Jesus, the queer guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I said that kind of as a joke, but my I'm sick, so the inflection didn't come out all the way. <laughs> so it sounded like I was being deep. You were like <laughs> making it dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cut off. Um, what What does um, it mean to be bis- to be a bisexual woman in a heteronormative monogamous relationship? And I love that what you're telling me so far is that being married doesn't hasn't stopped you from thinking about and um deconstructing and reconstructing your sexual identity um but what does that mean to you the how do you do it for sure yeah yeah i I don't even know if I've like perfected my elevator speech on this. Like how can you be bi if you're married to a man kind of, you know, like that yeah. elevator speech, but. And have a um, child. You're like, you're like. Four and have a child. You're no. living in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you cook a really good casserole? You probably. Cook I, really- you know what? I have an <laughs> awesome. It's like a broccoli chicken cheese situation. It's, it's really good. It sounds um, good. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think. I mean, first of all, I just differentiate my my sexual identity and orientation from the person that I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with. Not they're not separate, but they're not um, they're not the same thing. Like otherwise, there would be no such thing as bisexuality because, it, or I mean, you know, among people who are partnered, there would be no such thing as bisexuality because you've chosen one person to spend the rest of your life with. Um, and I don't know, maybe this, maybe this is hard to say without sounding cliche, but like, like gender um, is basically just not the first characteristic I'm attracted to in a person. Yeah. Like there's so much more um, to people to me and um, like, are they willing to be vulnerable? Are they willing to grow with me? Are they willing to meet where, meet me where I am um, and Am I willing to meet them where they are? I mean, these are all qualities that made me choose to spend the rest of my life in a monogamous marriage with this person that I'm married to, Daniel, um, who's awesome. And I, like, his gender was actually not really a huge consideration in that choice. It was like, will he mutually care for me? And will he um, grow with me, like I said, and be vulnerable with me, like I said? And 
um, can we do that work together? And um, this is a little bit on, on topic with the devotional, but like, do we produce more healing in the world because oh. we are who we are together? Um, I just read, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Gottman Institute. It's like this, mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard of it. It's like this marriage uh, <clears throat> institute and they do um, clinical research on, on relationships and marriage and write, write books about it. Uh, totally secular um, organization. And they just wrote a blog on uh, Tikkun Olam, which is this often, it's from Isaiah, it's a phrase from Isaiah, and it's often uh, translated as repairing the breach, being a repairer of the breach. And they talked about how healthy relationships and in their, you know, view, healthy marriages really are the basis of that. Because I said this in my, in my devotional too, but I, I feel like healed people, heal people, you know, hurt people, hurt people and healed people, heal people. Um, and in my marriage, I think like, I want that to be a place of healing so that we not so that we're some insular, like happy couple, but so that we are also radiating that healing out to the world, to our daughter, um, but also to, to the people we're in community with. I love that. I, um, I recently watched, there's a, I don't know if you've heard of it. There's a show on Netflix called The Bisexual. Oh, yeah. I've not watched it. <laughs> it's actually, I want to hear about it. Yeah. It's actually pretty cool, especially um, for my kind of uh, humor. It's a little dark. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. The, um, the main character actually does end up having sexual... Uh, encounters with men after being in, I think, a lesbian relationship for like 10 or 15 years or something. And mm-hmm. um, the one thing, I mean, and I, I'm speaking as like a gold star lesbian. I have been a lesbian my entire life. I, <laughs> I am balls to the wall dyke. Like there's no coming back. Um, but I am so interested in what... <laughs> It's probably giving away too much, but I'm just like mind boggled about what women find interesting in men. I'm just like, yeah. so like, I'm like a little kid at the zoo. I'm just like, what <laughs> is like, happening? Hmm, like, what is happening? How is this possible? What would have to connect in your brain for this to be whatever? And so when she finally has like this first encounter with a man, she is, she basically, she basically says, I don't know what the big deal is. I think that having sex with men and women are pretty much the same thing. And like, <laughs> if there were a camera on me, my mind would have just, my, my face, my brain would just exploded. Like, it was just That's like, so get out of here. That's not true, <laughs> is it? But when, you t- when, I, when I can lend that, that, um, those, that phrase to what you're talking about, how gender is just, it's a construct, you know? And you mm-hmm. have a very real way of identifying how it's just a construct. Um, yeah, it's so believable. Thank you for giving me that window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. Yeah, it is a construct. I totally agree with that. And I feel like it's a construct that sometimes harms our souls because yeah. then we don't, like, we are not allowed to see one another for who we are. And I'm not saying that, like, I mean, if you want to say being a woman or being a man is, like, at the core of who I am and I just, like, super identify with that, I'm not going to tell you not to do that but I don't know I feel like it's at the core of who I am because I've been shaped that way not yeah not the other way around so anyway too complex much too complex too complex much too complex too complex
I just want to pause there to tell you something about Miriam Samuelson Roberts that uh, she has been creating for a while and one of the main reasons why we originally connected. Um, she is the co-host of the podcast Alter Guild, where she and some of the other pastors interview people about faith and life. Uh, fortuitously, this week's Alter Guild episode is about this concept of the healed self that Miriam references uh, both in her devotional and in the rest of this interview. Um, so head on over to Alter Guild podcast and check it out in the app. Um, I also want to drop a note about some pretty cool Our Bible app merch. We've got some hoodies and sweatshirts that we've added to uh, our store for the cold winter months. Uh, Every purchase helps us to find and commission progressive thought leaders like Miriam, like some of the other guests that I've had on the show. At least take a look. Check it out at ourbibleapp.com slash merch. And now back to the show. We'll move on to the devotional. Yeah. Which is so dope. New year healed you. New year. New year. If only I could be healed. Mm, That's my goal for uh, 2019. (laughs) That came out. To be healed. (laughs) To be healed. Just 100%. Like, get it done in 2019 and then never have to do it again. No, I'm joking. No, that's how I live my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In your devotional, you talk about New Year's, uh, the new year and the new you. Um, this fad goal-making period where we decide to ditch things and become brand new again. Um, In your new devotional, you are challenging this, right? Mm -hmm. What is it that you are challenging? Yeah. Yeah. In my little like tagline for the devotional, I almost wrote call bullshit on the new year, new you thing, but (laughs) instead I said just like, forget it. But I, I have I have so much rage Ooh, at this I'm culture a fan of, rage, of yes. oh it's just <laughs> like the cult this culture of self what well, yeah there's there's so many layers to it I think some people would call it like health and fitness I think other people would call it um, self betterment I call it self flagellation I think it's oh. like there is this culture of um, I mean, it's especially around the new year, around food, exercise, diet, whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's, I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's in everything. And it's this, I mean, I think it was present, present in the, in the, uh, colonial founding of this country with, um, like the Puritan work ethic, like, yeah. you know, you, you can really just better yourself. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, I find it so devoid of grace. I find it so devoid of, um, I'm just going to get like pastory here for a second. Bring it on, I'm ready. (laughs) I find it so devoid of this, what I would call as a pastor, baptismal promise um, Mm. that God loves you exactly the way you are and that you are a valued and beautiful human being because you are you. And... I have no problem with people who want to like work out and eat fewer carbs or whatever they want to do in the new year, like make your choices about that. That is fine. But if you're doing it out of this sense of like, if I do this, then I will be whatever. Like there's, there's so much intense anxiety and value attached to this. Like if I do this thing, then I'll be a good person. If I, if I lose weight, then I will, allow myself the privilege of 
buying new clothes or, um, you know, it's just, I, that if then mindset is so contrary to like who I believe we are all created to be by God. Mm. Um, and, and who I think like God wants us to know ourselves to be. And I'm not saying like I have achieved this. I'm not saying everything I do is out of a sense of, um, like self-acceptance and love. In fact, probably this is why I rage so much about it. Cause it like taps <laughs> into something in me where I'm like, have to achieve my way to happiness and fulfillment. But, um, I think I, yeah, it, it's, it's, I think kind of sad. It, I was going to say devastating. Maybe that's mm. a little dramatic, but I do think it's devastating for people to not know that they are like ultimately okay and yeah. good and loved. Your, your quote for day two that I really enjoyed um, says this, those voices in your head that tell you you're not, a, you're not enough, that tell you you're not worthy, that take on the persona of the critic and won't stop berating you. They are not the voices of healing. Yeah. Yeah. And they try to be. That's the thing. I feel like they try to be. And they and they try to say, like, look, I'm just interested in helping you feel like you're the best you. And I'm mm. I'm saying those voices on, on lots of different levels. I'm okay. saying like there's, you know, an internal <laughs> yeah, situation. But then I think there's like very external versions of that. And I also just want to say those are almost always designed to make money off of people. Yeah. And they're really often designed to make money off of people who aren't like fitting. I'm just going to say who aren't like white males, you know? Yeah. Oh, and when I find out, I have found out a few times that some of those companies, I'm, I'm not going to name any names that are, <laughs> that are into, that are into this industry are, are run by men. I'm like, hell no you are not gonna take like the whole social structure of women and femmes who have been made to feel bad by all of this white patriarchal bullshit about their bodies the way that they are and then like further instill shame into us and like make money off of that absolutely not absolutely not so i mean there's layers of rage here it's so i mean that's crazy because that means that the messaging is so disembodied from any original source like it's just it's not even for us because it's it's just fabricated you know right right excuse me um no exactly yeah so but i want to know like like you've kind of personified this voice of healing like what is the voice of healing who is the voice of healing? Am I my own voice of healing? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so this is where this, um, I, I introduced the devotional by talking about this therapist um, yeah. that I know. And um, side note, I also have a podcast. Thank you for featuring it in the Our, Our Bible app. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so in this podcast, I'm a part of with, with three other pastors, um, one of my other co-hosts, Meta, interviews slash is kind of interviewed by um, a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and her name is Karen Stevenson. Uh, at the end, she's like, thanks for the free therapy session. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. But but Karen, um, this therapist that, that we both know, talks about your healed self. And she talks about it with all, I mean, she talks about it with her clients. She talks about it when she leads kind of communication retreats, which she also does for some pastors um, and church staffs in, in Minneapolis. And 
her her purpose in asking that question is to get you to think beyond where you are because when you're stuck in these i mean in you know in the example of um of this new year's bullshit when you're stuck in this place of i'm not good enough or i have to earn my way to whatever salvation is yeah. what we used to call it but now we call it other things mm-hmm. um when when you're in that space, it's so hard for you to envision what something else could be. And so when Karen says, like, what does your healed self look like, feel like, sound like, um, whatever senses you, you most identify with and use, I think that's asking us to take a step out of this this. Mm-hmm. culture of, of if then and see beyond that into this into this space of oh if I saw myself as inherently beloved how would I act mm. what would I do yeah um and for the example of of the perpetual example of food and exercise in our culture I sometimes try to ask myself that like if if I had a healed relationship with food and my body how would I act how would I eat how would I like treat myself? How would I move mm. um, like physically? What would I do exercise wise? And I think that answer is so, so different. Well, I don't know if it's so different, but it's, it feels so different than the answer of if I pick up a magazine at my doctor's office and mm. like, look at the messages that are there yeah. and operate out of that, you know? One of the things that, <clears throat> one of the things that really, gets me stuck is when I start thinking about all of these self-improvements that I have to make kind of like like I'm a like a wing of the house or like a part of my car you know yeah um I start to get really anxious and I tense up you know and I think I have to be I have to be better and being better means that I I stand taller and like you know I think of myself in different ways but what I'm actually doing is holding my breath Mm-hmm. And throughout your devotional, you talk about breath as this way of connecting to your body and connecting to spirit. Yeah. Um, one of the quotes that I really like, you said, take some time to live into that idea, breathe into your body as it is here and now, and connect with what feeling, what, what healing feels like in your body and your soul. Yeah. How does breath inform your view of spirituality? How does, how does, what action does breath take in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I could give you like my Bible study answer, you know, where (laughs) I'm like, ah, well in Genesis, God breathed over the waters and that was Ruach. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and that was also spirit and breath and life. And that in Greek, that's pneuma. And I, I think those are, I really think those things are cool and beautiful because I think breath is woven throughout um, scripture in this really beautiful way. I mean, sometimes it's talking about God. Sometimes it's talking about the Holy spirit, um, you know, in acts, Luke and in acts. And then um, other times it's just literally talking about the breath of humans. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Breath comes through nostrils a lot in the Bible. It's interesting. But then I also think there's my own personal spiritual practices for me anyway, um, where breath just brings me into my own actual body. I think my tendency 
my my tendency as shaped by a, 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 a what am I trying to say? An achievement driven society is to not live in my body. Mm-hmm. It's to live in my head because that's what's valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like that's where I can like achieve and prove myself. Right. Is, is in my head. And, um, breathing reminds me that I have a body actually. <laughs> like, and, uh, so I, I have gotten migraines here for the last few years. I was in a car accident and started getting migraines after that. And um, one of the, th- I went to occupational therapy and one of the things that they made me do was download like a, a breathing app. Um, and I had to take 10 minutes, like three times a day and breathe yeah. for 10 minutes because um, I'm not exactly sure the, you know, physiology of it. I actually don't think anyone is really sure of the physiology of migraines, but I think there's something about your nerves just keep like in taking in information and taking in information. And if they don't get a chance to rest and chill out for a second, then they'll kind of get burned out and, and turn into a migraine. So if I could take these sort of three times throughout the day and give them a rest, um, then they wouldn't sort of build up on themselves. And I think this is true too. Like, I feel like we all just pick up little, little pieces of tension in our days. Um, I mean, the most days I don't go through saying like, wow, I really need to take a breather because something intense was happening. Like mostly it's just little stuff, but a little thing builds on a little thing, builds on a little thing, builds on my own stuff that I have going on inside my head, builds on all of this cultural stuff that we have um, going on in any, any like, uh, layer of what we're talking about. Um, and like we do, we need, we need a chance to step into our own bodies in all of that. Otherwise we're just kind of responding to all this external stimuli, uh, and living a life like fueled by adrenaline and cortisol and stress nerves. I act like I know what I'm talking about in terms of um, like physiology and I don't, but it's real for me. And I, I feel that in my body kind of as my energy ebbs and flows throughout the day. It's really, it's, it's hard though. Um, and like, it's hard to turn off that radio station and then connect with yourself. Um, in day three, you have a really quote that you start to talk more about the importance of, of body and you're not talking about weight loss or, uh, or toning or, you know, looking a certain way or dressing nicer. What you're talking about, it's just like, thanking your body for being the vessel. That was so cool for me. I totally geeked out when I read that part. Um, But here's the quote. When was the last time you talked to your body? I never talked to my body. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When did you last ask it what it needs, how how it's really doing, where it hurts, what needs healing and attention? When was the last time you reassured your body it is beautiful, perfectly, and wonderfully made? When was the last time you thanked your body for being home to you and your life on earth? (laughs) Miriam, when was the last time you thanked your body? You know, like in yoga. (laughs) Yeah, probably in yoga. I don't know if I thanked my body last night, but I was, I was just lying in bed and I had like a, like a knot in my stomach and I just put my hand on it and I was like, Hey, you're safe. Mm. And that, 
I don't know why, like kind of undid me. And I just started tearing up a little bit and I just needed to tell my body that like, I have no idea what that was about emotionally. There was no like mental process about it. It was just like, I needed to tell that part of my body that for that one second, um, in order to go to sleep and, and release it. Um, you know, I'm so scripturally there, there is like a huge, um, basis for, for that practice. Like this, first of all, Psalm 139, you know, I used to bristle at that because it was always used by pro-life activists to be like, you know, value fetuses, but I'm like, no, it's like value life, like value your own life. Um, and Knit me together I, in my mother's womb one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's the, the I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. Yeah. And you're, I was knit together in my mother, mother's womb. Um, like, they're, they're, you you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And that that is, like, a real countercultural truth. So there's that. And then there's this image of a, being a vessel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and that, I think, is, that's in Jeremiah. And it's elsewhere, too. And this uh this sense that you you are home to a lot of different things like your body is home to joy and laughter and beauty and brokenness and hardship and that all happens within your body and it lives there um and that's beautiful and heartbreaking and but like so so um sacred too and then um and then the, the gratitude piece, too, obviously, is hmm. everywhere in Scripture. And, you know, I have some feelings about the Apostle Paul, but he does say some <laughs> really nice things about gratitude. Um, you know, his little Philippians, um, giving thanks, yeah. not being anxious, etc., is really beautiful. And so I think when you put those three things together, like the core of you are beautiful, you are sacred, you were knit together as a beautiful, sacred being, you are a vessel, um, for all of these things. And also like that there can be gratitude in all of those things. And, um, to me, those three things are, are really grounding as I think about my body. I think, um, I love that so much. And what it calls to mind are the moments when I force myself to actually go to the gym. And I've been doing that lately because mm-hmm. I have a guy at the gym who trains me. And so yes. <laughs> literally the only thing that I have to do is get myself there. And then everything else is just my body doing what it has to do. Mm. And part of the exercise, you know, when I'm lifting the heavy thing or squatting my own body weight is concentrating on my breathing, you know, mm-hmm. and that action of breathing and physically moving gets me out of my head the thing that I've been obsessing over all night long that I woke up with on my heart finally has a chance to kind of fall apart on its own or dissolve during my workout and yes I I for and for the most part if I can remember that this workout isn't to lose weight which would obviously be wonderful but it is it is to it is to to be in my body, you know, is to like use the muscles and, and flex and, and, and push my, my personal boundaries and then come back to self and all the while breathe in and breathe out. I mean, it becomes, it becomes another spiritual experience. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yes. And isn't it cool? 
that your body can do that. I mean, that is yeah. a miracle. It is a miracle. And, you know, whether or not people have all manner of things going on with their body in terms of illness and ability and like there, there is a huge range of, um, of what our bodies can do in any given moment. But the fact that we're all breathing is mind blowing. When you think about it, <laughs> it is so mind blowing Like the fact that our hearts are pumping is so mind blowing. Um, I mean, you can get existentially fast. You can start thinking about like, what, how does this even happen? But, um, no, it, that's that's so so mind blowing, and I love the I love the healing thing too. I just bought this book. I need to actually get it yeah. to tell you the title of it. Okay, um, because I have not started reading it. It literally came in the mail today. It's called My Grandmother's Hands: Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies by Resma Manikam, um, hmm. and he's a therapist who's based in Minneapolis. Um, and basically he wrote this book and says, well, I'm just going to read you like the sentence yeah. on the top of the back. It says the first self-help book to examine white body supremacy in America from the perspective of trauma and body centered psychology. So he's basically talking about how racialized trauma lives in our body. And I, he's um, not white, but he's speaking to white people and saying like your racism is trauma that lives in your body. And you need to heal that mm. racism in your body in order to heal how you move and live and breathe as a white person in the world. Um, That's so I'm excited to read it. I love that because usually when we talk about racism, we talk about how it is held in the black or brown body. That like yeah. these, these injustices, these boundaries that keep us from living in freedom in our, in our world you know, mm. are the things that we carry that become a cancer, that become uh, a, a, a disease. Um, so that kind of goes into my next question, which, you know, in the final day you talk about, you make a connection between the healed self and healing the world. Can you tell me more? Yeah, yeah. So I started that day it's always weird because you never know how like written out song lyrics are going to read. Like if it's going to be power, like to me, it's so powerful to hear that song, but then I write it out. And I'm like, I don't know, that could sound dumb <laughs> to somebody, but um, we, I love our, um, the director of our contemporary music service because she finds all sorts of amazing music that is not necessarily churchy. Like it's this, she, she um, and this worship team sing this song Um that's usually performed by this folk singer named Sarah Thompson. Someone else wrote it. Um, and it's called the healing of the world or the turning of the world. And it has all these verses and it starts out, let us sing this song for the turning of the world that we may turn as one. And it keeps going and, and uses all these different words. And eventually it gets to let us sing this song for the healing of the world that we may heal as one with every voice, with every song. Um, we will turn this world along. I'm like going to choke up when I'm talking about it. I love this song. Um, because then it says, and, and our lives will feel the echo of our healing. And that to me, that last line, I mean, connecting the healing of the world with our lives feeling the echo of our healing is so profound to me. And so like, um, I mean, it's what motivates me to heal mm. because I do, I do want this world to heal. This world will never heal completely. I mean, that's not, that's not um, like our job, mm -hmm. but it's probably God's job and, you know, Jesus and stuff. But uh, <laughs> I think queer Jesus, obviously. Um, <laughs> Call him out. Yeah. Right. Right. But I think, 
I do see my, I mean, to use a pretty churchy word, vocation, like my, my calling in the world to be a force of healing. And um, I kind of see that as all of our calling a little bit to do that in different ways. Um, I don't know. Some people would probably not appreciate me putting that on them, but I, I do think there's, there are so many, so many like myriad ways, infinite ways that we are all called to be healers in the world. And for a lot of people, that's through their close relationships. For some people, that's through their activism. For other people, that's through their writing or their projects or their jobs or um, their involvement in their communities. And I, like, it literally takes all of us, which is another huge cliche, but it, it takes all of us. And I think it takes all of us um, attempting to live into our healed self to do that. I mean, have you ever witnessed um, yes, because this happens daily, hourly, but like arguments on social media, they are because yeah. people are like sad and lonely yeah. and assholes. But like that being an asshole comes out of someplace, you know? Um, yeah. I don't think we should give too much credence to Twitter arguments because they're dumb. But yeah, I mean, one of one of my um, resolutions is to be less of an asshole in 2019. Uh, <laughs> um, I, yeah. I mean, there's righteous anger uh, for sure. I'm, I'm meeting more like people who want to degrade one another's humanity, you know, and who are like, who you are at your core is horrible. Like pe people say that kind of on a daily basis to each other. And and there are things in the world that need to be called out for sure and can be called out in anger. So I'm not like, I mean, another sort of yeah. hallmark of this white supremacist Minnesota culture that can exist is like, don't argue, like, don't, don't raise conflict. Don't, um, don't rock the boat, which Just I think is really toxic. And, yeah. Right. Totally, totally super toxic and horrible. And then like you get passive aggressive instead. So I'm not advocating for that. Um, like heal, being kind doesn't mean being nice, you know, as, yeah. as the old saying goes, or maybe new saying goes, but, um, but I do feel like, yeah, like drawing a distinction between degrading one another's humanity. Yeah. I just, there, there are good ways to be an asshole and there are really harmful ways to be an asshole. There's, <laughs> I yeah, guess there's just so many reasons to, um, be fearful of the other and I think that's really mm. where we are right now is we thought that we liked everybody but then we realized that we're all just kind of kind of bigoted and racist and and mm -hmm. <laughs> problematic mm -hmm. and we don't know what to do with that but you're right, right. saying something versus not saying something um, yeah we should challenge it what are mm -hmm. what what are what are some resolutions that you think are helpful and realistic to make in the new year Mm, mm. I mean, blanket statement, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I do say in the devotional, like re resolve instead to heal. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's a a certain calling out of, of yourself, of systems, of, of a lot of things that need to happen that needs to happen in healing. So kind of to this, you know, point of like, healing isn't like being kind and nice and stuffing it all down. Like healing is that there's actually a first step to healing, which is recognizing that which needs to be healed. Yeah. Um, and I think that is, that is something only, you know, 
Mm. Um, and that is something only each of us kind of knows in our, in our dark parts of our soul. Like what is actually keeping me from healing? Mm. Like what, what, um, is living in my body that's keeping me from healing? Mm -hmm. What trauma is living in my body that's keeping me from healing? What addiction is keeping me from healing? Um, what sort of uh, way of thinking or being um, or pattern do I have that keeps me from healing? And I, I do think that everybody knows what that is. I think um, it's super hard to admit because yeah. it's way easier to just stay in an unhealed place, especially if culture affirms that, you know, yeah. I think like in, in one of the examples I gave, it was like, achieve more, do more, fit more into your schedule. <laughs> for, for whom is that not affirmed in our, in our right. society, right? Like fit more hours in your day. Um, but I know that for me and for a lot of people that, that way of being in the world, like achieving your way to, um, to being loved is not actually healing. One of the things I've started to do when I get into this prayer cycle of, you know, begging God for something or getting angry at God that something didn't happen um, and continuing to be that asshole is I try to back it up and ask, what am I not seeing? You know, what am I not getting? Mm. What direction am I supposed to be in? If this is obviously no, but I want it to be yes. You know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in there lies a lot of the healing that I've been able to find. This um, this last quote that you give, I think it's really powerful, and I hope that um, listeners will take the time to read the full devotional because, like I like I told you over email, um, our our small OBA team really geeked out when we got <laughs> the first page, and then a couple weeks later, the whole thing. You know, it was just so good. Um, you write. Many of us can name the things we need healing from. Toxic patterns, negative self-talk, broken relationships, any number of things that are breaking us and isolating us at any given moment. But what, we, but what would happen if we were, in fact, our healed self? What would change about our lives and our world if we were living out of that self? When we can imagine what happens after we heal, what we want to be healed for, it makes our path to healing that much more clear. And I believe yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, again, this is just gonna totally make me sound like a cliche suburban pastor mom, but whatever. <laughs> um, becoming a parent kind of broke me open. Um, and I, I don't think people need to be parents to, to feel this way, but there was something about, um, giving birth to a child that um, it broke me open in a, in a really good way and helped me understand like there are, there are some patterns. I mean, she, I found out that, um, that I was pregnant with this baby, like in the midst of me too. And I was just like, I can't raise a child in the, I just can't mm -hmm. like, this is so hard. I mean, of course I wanted this, I wanted this child also, but like, that terrified me. Um, and, um, I realized I actually need to do some, some healing myself, um, on who I see myself to be in the world and how I can be healed from, from some of the, the traumas and, and things that I've experienced because, because I want 
something healthier for my daughter. Yeah. And I want her to know um, that, that I've put being a healed and healthy and whole human being as a priority so that she might also know um, health and healing and wholeness in her own life. Um, so this like, what are you healed for question? Mm-hmm. It can have a ton of different answers. I mean, it does not have to be another human being that you want to be healed for, obviously. Um, but there, there is an ultimate direction to our healing, I think. And um, we, we want to be healed from things, but we also want to be healed for other things and, and living in the world. And I think that goes back to the, the concept of the healing of the world, like when mm-hmm. we're when we're healed for the healing of the world, then we're all um, of, of better service to something yeah. greater, I think. Mm. Amen. Miriam, where can people find you on online and social media if they want to oh, yeah. <laughs> if they want to stalk you? <laughs> I mean, if they, if they want to see uh, pictures of my baby, they can follow me on yeah. Instagram. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but sorry, that's like all you're going to get. Um, <laughs> I, I really, my online parents, presence is um that 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 more that of a a baby boomer than a millennial uh unfortunately but i i think the main place to find me is on this podcast alter guild yeah um we just started our third season and it is well underway Mm. and um we're talking about who who we are at our core and we interview different people and um recently you know three seasons in why not kind (laughs) of landed on the tagline of uh setting a bigger table Mm. um and our, our, it's Alter Guild, A-L-T-E-R, as in like we hope to kind of alter what it means to be the church and to talk about faith. Um, and we also are just thinking about like how can we set a bigger and bigger table for what those conversations look like. So. I love the things that you guys are putting into the world. I mean, I just think it's so important and I'm glad that they were able to reach out across the webs and find each other. <laughs> you know? No, yes, yes. <laughs> we're not alone. It's yes. Yes, exactly. More of that. Just more of that. Guys, thanks so much for listening. You are the bee's knees for tuning in every single week. Uh, You can find me, Crystal Cheatham, on Twitter, on Facebook, or at my website, Crystal Cheatham. And that's it. Okay, bye.